Hey, everybody. What's up? <laughs> people like that still. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, thanks so much for downloading Pulitzer Surprises. My name is Eliza Cosio. My name is Caroline Shaper. And we do this great show it's live in Union Hall, Brooklyn, New York, called Pulitzer Surprises. And this is it as a podcast. Yeah. And what the heck are we going to talk about? Well, here's what we're going to talk about. The Pulitzer Prizes, uh-huh. a prestigious award for arts and journalism. We found out it's very easy to submit for one. All you have to do, submit anything in the world with a check for $50. Give it to the postman. He takes it right up there to Columbia University. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. They have to read it. So we decided to start inviting our comedian friends to submit their entry for a Pulitzer. Um and then we interview a real-life Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done that? I don't think so. Mm, what's wrong with you? Guess we're great and you all suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. I hope you guys are loving this episode so far. Um, this is actually uh, a great show that we have. Um, we've got so many great comedians, as always. So many beautiful You're going to scream when you hear them. You're going to scream. We got Catherine Cohen. Gorgeous. We got Connor O'Malley. Beautiful. We got Roy Wood Jr. Make me kiss my fingers like Italian chef. <laughs> and we got Carmen Christopher as Lin-Manuel Miranda. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one wasn't as good. <laughs> Um, and then we also interview a real-life Pulitzer Prize winner. That's right. This time, we interviewed best boy in all the land, Dan mm-hmm. Fagan. Dan Fagan, such a great, great person. Uh, we should say that this episode was recorded before the election. Yes. Which is why we sound 25 pounds lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and and a lot happier. <laughs> in... So if you're confused by that, just remember how things used to be. Yeah. Do you guys uh, remember that or no? Write in with your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So please enjoy this episode of Pulitzer Surprises and check out our other apps, baby. Yep. Like the one right before this, the only other one. (laughs) (laughs) Up first, we have Catherine Cohen, who is a great girl, a great comedian, and a great freaking poet, apparently. I didn't know that. I know it now. I do, too. And you're all going to learn. Tonight, we say all content deserves a reward. 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 Please welcome Catherine Cohen. (laughs) (sighs) To be called non-threatening is perhaps the greatest dig of all. A teen girl I used to SAT tutor once told me I was intimidating and I'm still riding that wave. But that is not what tonight's about. Tonight's about me, my work, and getting the recognition I deserve. Um, I am going to read some poetry tonight. No, I don't have my MFA. 
Okay, so calm down. Um, I went to school, thank you so much, and I recently found out most books aren't even true. So I'm, I'm all set, thank you so much. Plus, what if we all have an MFA in what we call life? <laughs> oh, wow, non-threatening, please. Did you see that? With the, the, the speed, the elegance? Oh, God, okay. Um, oh, why not? Why not use a podium? Let's have fun. Let's play around. <laughs> okay, this is serious. <clears throat> okay, thank you so much. This is called Poem I Wrote Last Night When I Couldn't Go to Sleep Because There Are No Sheets on My Bed Because I Perioded on My Other Sheets and Can't Be Bothered to Put New Ones On. <laughs> I'm sorry I friended your fiancé on Facebook. I meant to look at his profile pictures. I was on my phone. I haven't spoken to you in at least seven years, but you can't get engaged to a personal trainer and not have me say something. Thank you so much. This next poem is called... It'd be really cool if you guys could have some respect tonight. I wore clogs for this. <laughs> uh, put it on a t-shirt. Okay. Uh, this <laughs> oh my God, I'm funny. Okay, um, this is called Poem I Wrote After You Told Me Your Ex Is Actually Really Cool. The first time I got fingered was on a lawn chair by a guy who said his favorite band was Jason Mraz. Life isn't about the breaths you take, but the moments that take your breath away. Next poem. Poem I wrote after I got scolded at the Whole Foods for stealing a meatball from the salad bar. One time I lied and said I wasn't going to date anymore and went to a definitely cool roof party and had seven beers and ran around asking everyone, who is that tall person and what is his deal? You can't love someone else till you love yourself, JK. Um, this next poem is called Some Men Are Okay But Most Are Bad Poem. A guy on the street said I looked like I was studying audio engineering in school. <laughs> he told me he liked my outfit. He told me to have a cool day. I'm Googling how long a stroke lasts. <laughs> Next poem. Poem I wrote after I told someone that nature should be curated. Sorry I gasped when you ordered ranch on your salad at Chopped. It's just that all I want is to be thin because when you're thin, you can be famous for smoking a cigarette and looking sad. If you're fat and there's a photo of you smoking a cigarette and looking sad, it is a campaign for something, and that is the truth. I'm sorry I said I was broke and then joined the new Equinox in Williamsburg. It's just that I want to be thin because when you're thin, you can take a picture of a band and be like, I'm a photographer. Everyone I hated in high school is famous on Instagram for being rich and dyeing their hair for a good cause. I'm done. Uh, this is called Palmer Oat After I Had One Sip of Cold Brew and Ruined My Only Butthole. I 
I used to get mad at my ex-boyfriend when it took him too long to plug in my iPhone charger. I just overheard a guy in my Uber pool, oh, Uber pool, to think. <laughs> to stutter on that word says so much. Um, it's so near and dear to me. I also didn't take a cab here. I obviously Ubered. I'm modern. Okay, back to the work. I just overheard a guy in my Uber pool admit to having low-key misogyny issues over the phone. I want my dream job so I can talk about how lonely it is way up at the top. Poem I wrote after my landlord called me ma'am. I'm 14. <laughs> I'm watching that catfish show on MTV, and the host just told all the girls with eyeliner that the person they've been sexting is fat, and now everyone is sad. <laughs> one, time, <laughs> one time I thought I was in love because I was sad all the time. What if I wrote a poem about what love is, LOL? <laughs> Thank you so much. Next poem. Uh, <laughs> poem I wrote after seeing that guy from Project Runway at the Whole Foods again. Life's a cabaret. I'm sorry I bailed on the yoga booty ballet class we signed up for. I did not sleep well last night, and I'm still reeling from the time I slept with someone who didn't know who Greta Gerwig is. Patron saint of quirk. Okay, tweet it. Someone tweet it. That's a good one. That's a good riff. Okay. That's fun. Um, okay. <laughs> Poem I wrote after you went down on me and then called me dude. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to your karate class after we had sex. I would go, but I'm too busy taking a screenshot of a Psychology Today article on how to stick to a diet and making it the wallpaper of my phone. <laughs> also, I don't think karate clothes would look good on me. Okay, um, just a few more. Uh, oh yeah, poem I wrote after I overheard you telling your friend that your mom is Drake in your phone. Like, do you get it? <laughs> like the contact. Am I losing my crown? Oh, the light. <laughs> One more. Um, oh, this is topical. Okay. Poem I wrote after I paid $960 for a personal trainer and then she ghosted me. <laughs> Stephanie with a Y, if you're out there, fuck you. I look the same. Okay. I just woke up from a dream where the girl child from Stranger Things looked up at me from a twin bed and said, can you believe I am incredibly famous? And I said, yes. And then she told me that she saw old pictures of me and I'm not as thin as I used to be. <laughs> Last night I went to an art opening, mostly so I could say that sentence. And I had to listen to a straight white dude talk about whiskey and riding and bicycles over a soundscape he made. <laughs> he talked about his ex, he talked about the New Yorker, he said, what if, a lot. I bet he gets so much ass, he's ugly, I'd probably fuck him. <laughs> When I first moved to New York, because I am unique, 
I worked at a trend restaurant off Bedford Ave with a girl who wore a tail and a really handsome French manager who laughed when I said I was an actor and told me he could be in a movie before me because he was handsome. I said, you're probably right, and went to the freezer for a squat and cry. (laughs) TM, you can trademark that situation. I don't want to know any more men, especially any who know how to surf. There's nothing relaxing about the beach. The only thing I've ever done in a bikini is sob. (laughs) Great. I got your sympathy vote. (laughs) All the way to the top. Okay, thank you so much. This is so fun. Give it up for your host. That was Catherine Cohen. Our next Pulitzer Prize hopeful is the host of the show that is not me. Please welcome Eliza Cosio. Hi, hi, hi. Um, So I think for my entry, I decided to do a little investigative journalism into myself. So uh, I was looking through things that I've written in my past, and I came across this, and it's a love letter I wrote when I was 17. And this is real. Uh, And I will read it with the typos. Dear Yale Admissions Office, (laughs) I'd like to update you on my application since my deferral in December and inform you of my continued interest in Yale. First, I have enclosed two newspaper clippings, one from my school district's newspaper indicating my stance as a national Hispanic scholar and one from my school newsletter indicating my position as student of the month for the month of December. In hearing of my deferral, I decided to go visit Yale University for the first time. The research I have done on Yale since junior year did not do the reality of experiencing the college justice. Seeing Beinecke Library and imagining this as a resource for my knowledge, walking across old campus with the trees and architecture, (laughs) and enjoying cinnamon ice cream at Ashley's Ice Cream all confirmed it. Yale is still very much my first choice of universities. Before my visit, I emailed professors from the history and political science departments in hopes of being referred to someone whom I could talk to while I visited regarding history and poli-sci as a double major, and unfortunately, all were going to be gone for the holiday. (laughs) However, I corresponded with Ms. Christine Cavanaugh and Mr. Robert Burns through email regarding the double major, and both gave me valuable information in which I can now use to prepare myself. Beyond my major, parentheses S, however, (laughs) I look forward to being able to take other courses, such as Death with Professor Shelley Kagan, which I have been watching on Yale Open Courses Online. (laughs) As far as school goes, my application indicates that I was manager of my improv comedy club, Comedy Sports. As manager, I am to organize the shows in my school. For the first time in my school's comedy sports history, I am currently planning the February 19th show as a benefit show for the world-issue charity Help on Planet Earth. And I'm currently discussing the details with my theater instructor. (laughs) 
Also, I'd like to say a word about the C on my transcript. I do not feel like one grade can make or break my potential to contribute to Yale and, in a greater sense, to the world. I put full effort into succeeding in this class. I began going to after-school tutoring for the subject, began going in at lunch to review my tests with my teacher, and had one of the highest participation grades. <laughs> Physics has by far been the most challenging class for me to understand. I do not plan to back out on it, give up, or drop the class, and I believe my efforts will translate this in my next semester's grades. If you have any further questions on this topic matter, <laughs> my physics instructor has agreed to answer any inquiries at bobhouton at roland.k12.california.us. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Elizabeth Cosio, nothing's gonna change my world, the Beatles. That was my signature. <laughs> I did not get in! Thank you so much. Wow, great job, Eliza, on whatever it is you just performed. Mm -hmm. That was so good, probably. The next person <laughs> is Connor O'Malley, and two minutes before the show, we asked him if we could introduce him as Matt Lauer. For no reason. I don't know why we... I think we just, we just found Matt Lauer so funny. Yeah. Um, and he said yes, and it turned into mattlauer at gmail.com. Which, it, it's a treat for the masses. It's a treat. It's, it's the heart of the piece, really. Um, our next guest is Matt Lauer. Please welcome Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer! Uh, we had emailed mlauer at todayshow.com. Hi, uh, my name's Matt Lauer. I, um, uh, I own the email mattlauer at gmail.com. So I get a lot of his shit. Uh, I'm from uh, Rantoul, Illinois. It's halfway in between Champaign-Urbana and Chicago, Illinois. Our greatest year was when the Bears were playing in Champaign. And uh, a lot of people were driving down from Chicago. So a lot of cars got fucked up down in uh, Rantoul. And uh, that's where I came in. Uh, but uh, people email uh, me all the time. And uh, sometimes I get free shit. Like I got like uh, 40 uh, free Brooks Brothers shirts um, the other day. Uh, I also got a free tour of the new Bed Bath & Beyond in Tokyo. Um, I got invited to see the new Samsung 8 uh, at an event. I'm going to go to that. But uh, I'm using the fuck out of being named Matt Lauer. And uh, dumb girls email me. I say, sounds fucking good, idiots. I want to be Nobel guy. <laughs> So I'm Matt Lauer. I'm 35 years old from Rantoul, Illinois. Um, I've never orgasmed outside of a condom. <laughs> Most of my friends are 12 or under. And I'm addicted to the choking game. 
My dream is to one day work at the Skechers store on Fifth Avenue. And my favorite uh, poet is uh, Jordan Belford. But enough about me. Let's talk about my Nobel Prize thing. I think it's time that we get rid of war once and for all. For too long, nations have been warring against each other on different lands to gain resources, power, money, God, gold, guns, and other things that are valuable to kings. <laughs> it's my dream to eliminate this once and for all. <laughs> How do you do such a thing, you may be asking? Shut the fuck up! I'll tell you how we do it. With a brand new sport that I've invented called Death Down 40. Okay, Death Down 40 is a game that will replace war forever. It's played on a slippery concrete field. Each nation state will gather 40 of their strongest breeding age males to fight with each other on this said concrete, or as I call it, death field. How do you win the game? When 40 people have died, then the other team wins. Or whoever, uh, whoever, no. There's 100 people on the team. And the first team to lose 40 people, they lose. So let's say fucking Spain's got a goddamn problem with England. Good. Let's have a fucking death down 40 game, you dumb fucks. They get a hundred of their strong ass guys. The other team get a hundred of their strong ass guys and they go at each other, fucking beating the shit out of each other and, they, and steroids are heavily encouraged. <laughs> Fuck! Pull it! Sorry. It used to mean something to say you're American. Whatever happened to Tony Soprano? Huh? So, okay, so, so let's, let's, say, let's say Israel and Palestine's like, let's do it. Once and for all, let's settle who gets the big lake that's in the middle of Israel, which is what they're all fighting over. There's a big lake where everybody gets pontoon boats and they can go out on it and have fun. And the Israeli people, after World War II, all the Jewish people walked to Israel and they said, this lake seems pretty good. <laughs> and the, uh, the other guys, the regular uh, guys were like, hey, hey, don't go on the lake too long. <laughs> and then the Jewish people were like, oh, you mean our lake? <laughs> Think about it. I've also have been in over 4,000 fights. <laughs> can, we, can we get a round of applause for the real-life Jack Bowers? <laughs> These guys are out there every day putting guns in terrorist faces, getting information, while you fucking sit there jerking off to Pokemons. <laughs> so they get the... so they Okay, so we got like... Four, uh, the hundred, the Spain versus Israel. Okay, Israel wants to take over Spain. That's another thing. You got any problem with any country, and you, it's independent. The licensing opportunities are virtually limitless. <laughs> Think about different types of milks. 
that you could put this logo on for the Spain Death Down 40 team. And it's probably like Spanish guys, like, hey, you know what I mean? Spanish, not Mexican. Come on. My dream is to make $25,000 a year, have an air-conditioned bedroom, a clean, non-smelly blanket, and to know who my father is. I'd love to be able to afford Ruby Tuesdays once a month and see a fast car driving down the street. And a woman to love me. I, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. Um, Matt Lauer served me with papers. I went to a mall opening as him. And I said some pretty, pretty messed up stuff about eugenics. And it picked up... Uh, Picked up, picked up some steam in the press. And he's just trying his best. Everybody, get off his goddamn fucking back. You would fucking be... I imagine if you had to be up to do the Today Show and go on a fucking aircraft carrier and talk to Donald Trump. You'd be tired. I am what the government fears most. A person who thinks for himself. So there'd be judges for the Death Down 40, and of course they would be celebrities. You got Lena Dunham would be a judge. Uh, Simon Cowell, of course, a nasty British guy. And um, I don't know, could throw out a name. Throw out a name. Go. Who? RuPaul? Yeah, throw out a name. Clinton Houston. Sounds great. Does anyone have any questions about Death Down 40? Any questions at all? Go toss them out. Uh, everybody will be forced to watch it. And there won't be. So you really got to fucking watch. And there will be a test afterwards. Uh, Kevlar to make it extra hard so you really gotta use big fucking guns. But no fire. Well, I talked about the licensing opportunities. They're virtually limitless, yes. We're talking hoodies, uh, beer cozies, um, of course, uh, different um, hunting accessories, uh, iPhone cases. Um, socks. Socks are uh, cool. And there'll be a, a Death Down 40 uh, concert with Maroon 5 playing. What weapons are allowed? Uh, this is the interesting part because we'll be developing some new weapons based off of the film Batman and Robin. A lot of ice stuff. Ice guns and plant, plant-related weapons. And everybody's got grappling hooks. So there's going to be a lot of guys... 
Very dynamic game. It's like basketball on steroids on acid in an episode of South Park. Um, they will, they'll, will def, will just have big, like 9,000 pound, uh, dead weight bars and whoever can deadlift them, they're on the team. <laughs> and those will be on every street corner in New York City. How are players compensated? With blood. <laughs> Everybody gets a free quart of blood. Extra in their body. I know a scientist who knows how to put extra quarts of blood in bodies. Uh, probably a rat terrier. <laughs> Little cute guys. Remind me of Eddie. I'm Frazier. <laughs> I said reminds. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I said Jack Russell. You don't think I fucking know Frazier? <laughs> Niles, Bulldog, Eddie, Martin, uh, the fucking... Uh, gay food critic guy who wasn't really gay. That's the joke! That's the joke! Did you get it? A man acts like a homosexual, but he is in fact not! Ha ha! Laugh it up! You're all watching Frasier in 1999. You don't even realize the war on terror is coming on your front fucking door. I did! Thank you very much. Up next is me, Caroline Shaper. You can tell us our voices apart, I bet. Our voices are so different. If, if you can tell our voices apart, please let us know because we don't have any idea. <laughs> anyway, I wrote something because I wanted to get really rich really fast, and this is it. And if Look, if you want to turn this into a rap musical and put my name at the top of the bill... She's not stopping you. So do it already. Yeah. I want a lot of money. Give her give her a little DM in her, in her Twitter inbox. With nice things only, guys. Please. <laughs> Please. Okay. Um, for your consideration today, I have written a biography of arguably the most important founding father, Benjamin Franklin. Um, I wrote this because I read that Lin-Manuel Miranda makes $250,000 a week off of Hamilton, and I could really use $13 million this year. Um, uh, something that I think, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, something I think is gonna set me apart in the biography category is that I wrote this from the perspective of Ben Franklin. So, here we go. The Biography of Benjamin Franklin by Caroline Schaefer. I was born in 1706, and I have remembered every single moment of my entire life since breaching. <laughs> I was blessed with a perfect brain. I weighed 300 pounds and was ugly as fuck, but nobody in the world ever stepped to me because they knew I could beat them in any contest, physical, intellectual, or sexual. <laughs> I had thousands of lays, and every single one of them, I fathered a child. I invented the city of Philadelphia just to give my children a place to live. Every adjective in existence can be ascribed to me. 
I was an author, a painter, a political theorist, politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat. You ever heard of the word polymath? Well, you just did, you nasty bitch, and it describes me too. <laughs> I invented everything useful, and I put my dick in everything else. <laughs> In school, children learn that I invented electricity and are never taught to question it. That doesn't make any sense because electricity has existed for all time, but I have transcended time and reason, just as I did when I found electricity and made it bend to my will. Some shit I did invent includes the lightning rod, the glass harmonica, bifocal glasses, the urinary catheter, and the Franklin stove, which I named after myself. <laughs> And in the most baller move of all time, I never patented a single one of my inventions because I believe that inventions that benefit the public good should be shared freely and generously. <laughs> Once I got bored and invented an Ivy League college. <laughs> then I went to France and had sex with everyone and they named 16 streets in Paris after me. <laughs> the office of president was not challenging enough. So instead, I invented the United States Postal Service. <laughs> I am the only person in existence to ever have understood it. I worked as the first postmaster general, and I do take credit for the anthrax crisis. I invented the state of Pennsylvania as a joke. Everyone took me seriously, and now we have Rick Santorum. I am the number one most name-checked person in the entire genre of rap music, and I deserve it. I lived my life in a way that would make DMX jump off the Benjamin Franklin Bridge. In conclusion, I leave you with this. We are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. I wrote that about your mom. Thank you. Up next, we have stand-up from Daily Show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. We've tricked so many people into doing this show, and he is one of it's them. It's true. He very kindly agreed to do this inaugural show of Pulitzer Surprises. Thanks, buddy. Please welcome Roy Wood Jr. I don't know what to do with my hands either. Is, is there only one national anthem? I could have fooled me. You go to sporting events now, it's like eight fucking songs. You gotta stand up for the first one, to the second one, cool. Did you know it? Houston Astro Games, they sing deep in the heart of Texas. It's unnecessary. I know where I am. It's hot, there's Mexicans. I know where I am. Here's the thing about patriotism as it relates to black people. Like, whatever, whatever people feel about the anthem, like, I don't, I don't really, like, I, I get both sides of it. I don't really concern myself with that. It's the people who act surprised and shocked that there's people angry every now and then with the country. Like, what country are you living in? How did you not know? <laughs> could you believe black people? <laughs> yeah, I could. <laughs> it's 
not like black people keep their feelings a secret. Black people always tell you how they feel. Just look at black music. We tell you what's going on in our heart. There's, there's no black patriotic songs. Not, not original. Black people don't write original patriotic tunes. We cover existing tunes. But when shit goes down in this country, it's fucking white artists. They fucking proud to be on the mountain. <laughs> I got a pet eagle, his name is Chuck. I feed him bacon and freedom. <laughs> Black people don't write songs about the country. That's not what we do. Black people write songs about cities where you can have a good ass time. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Can't tell you shit about the country as a whole, but I can tell you about the city where the heat is on all night on the beach to the early morning. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. <laughs> You've been to California? Oh my God, California knows how to party. <laughs> California knows how to party. <laughs> Ray Charles did Georgia On My Mind. The key word in that song is on my mind. He didn't tell you to go there. <laughs> he was just thinking about Georgia. Because if you'd asked Ray Charles where in Georgia you should go, he would have told you to go to Atlanta where the players play and they ride on them things like every day. <laughs> There's always one person that cried. I, don't, I never heard that one. Who's... <laughs> I heard the first two. It's just, you know, it's a stressful experience, you know. Being black, that's, that's what my Pulitzer entry is about. The stressful black experience. That's why it's no black ghost. Black people tired, man. We don't even have the energy to come back from the dead. And I think that is why there are no black ghosts. Where are the black ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? You guys believe in ghosts? One person. The rest of y'all too pussy to man up and admit that the remote was not where you left it last night. But you just keep lying that away to yourself. No, it was a ghost. It was a ghost that came in and watched your shit on your DVR. <laughs> I freak out, man. Like, if I got podcasts on my phone that already are marked listen to, I just, nah. <laughs> I just delete the fucking podcast. I'm not. Goddamn ghost in my phone listening to my shit. I hope there's heaven and hell. I don't try to get deep off in religion and the specificity of each, you know, denomination, but as far as a place to kick it or a place to fucking scream and holler, I'm cool with either one. <laughs> Just don't want to be a ghost. <laughs> I believe in ghosts. I believe in ghosts. My dad died when I was 16, and I don't want to creep you guys out about the shit, but I, my room was upstairs. My, my parents was separated. It was one of them, it's it's black shit. I don't have time to explain <laughs> the broken black home, but 
but my mom and I slept upstairs in separate bedrooms, and my dad slept downstairs. So my parents were together, but they were like, I'm not going to divorce you. Well, I ain't going to divorce you, but motherfucker, you go downstairs. <laughs> so my dad had this cane, you know, because he had a hip replacement or whatever. And so in the mornings, like at 6 in the morning, I could hear my dad getting ready for work. And I could hear him walking across the linoleum in the kitchen. I could hear the of the cane walking across. And that's how I kind of knew what time it was, based on because my dad was prompt as fuck. So when he died, for like the next three weeks, I could hear my father. I could hear the sounds of him getting ready for work. And it was creepy. I heard the toilet flush. I heard the sink run. I heard the do-do-do-do back into the room, put the clothes on. Then I heard the car keys. And I heard the do-do-do-do across the linoleum. And all I could lay there, I'm fucking scared as balls. And now that I'm older and I'm more concerned about my mortality, you know, I'm kind of in a position now where, like, dude, like, heaven or hell, whichever one, because apparently if you don't go to either one, you still have to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Want to keep having to go to work after I die? That's (laughs) fucked up. I like my job, but it's 15-hour days. Fuck that, man. Throw me in the casket. It's okay to be scared of ghosts. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I think it's going to ease up a couple more decades. <laughs> it is. Ghost stories aren't going to be scary in like fucking 50, 60 years. I might not live to see it, but you guys might because it's going to be fucking millennial ghosts. Those ghosts are going to be cool as shit, man. <laughs> millennial ghosts are going to be nice because fucking millennials are cool, man. Not gonna be haunting people and shit. You're not gonna get fucked with. Some ghosts come fucking. Oh look, I, w- I was gonna, I was gonna haunt you, but technically that's a form of bullying. So I'm not gonna. <laughs> you mind if I tell you about my app, bro? I got a fucking app. You sit with the ghost and eat quinoa, and he tells you about his app. I gotta get rich somehow. <laughs> I think those invent help commercials are a setup. <laughs> I don't trust them. You know those commercials? Maybe it's some down south shit where I'm from, but the, <laughs> the commercials come on later tonight. Do you have an idea for an invention or a way to improve upon an existing invention? Well, call invent help and. <laughs> You think they're not going to murder you if you had a real idea? (laughs) They will fucking send an attack squad to your home and kill you. (laughs) Go go on Netflix and watch this documentary called The Gas Hole. It's a great documentary, and it's about these dudes that invented cars that ran on water, and big oil scared the shit out of them and made them fucking run away from their own patents. One of them refused. He came up missing. Because when you invent really useful shit... You eliminate other people's money. You start fucking with people's money, they ain't gonna fucking murder you. So the, the commercial is a dragnet to catch people who thinking of good shit. Because the only the only example they give you in the commercial, the only example they give you in the commercial, this man invented the slip and slide. Wow, what fucking wow, what a fucking life changing device, this gentleman. Like a trash bag with water on it. And fucking didn't invent that. He wasn't fucking going through eight or nine prototypes trying to 
fucking trash bag was on the lawn. The sprinklers came on. Your kid just fucking goofed and ran across it. That shit is a setup, man. They'll fucking kill you if you invent a red. That's why I don't fuck with Star Trek. I don't. Star Trek, the teleport shit, that shit take me out the whole fucking franchise, man. Good-ass movie, good-ass acting, but ain't no teleporter gonna ever get invented. You know how many fucking industries would be fucked the day you can just... (laughs) Think about that. If the teleporter was invented tomorrow, there's no more need for cars. There's no more need for gas. You don't need the postal service. You don't need hotels. You can just go to Paris and just go... You come back home by the end of the day. If you called Invent Help right now, <laughs> yeah, I got an idea for a device that make you disappear and then you reappear in another place. Fucking particle remolecular fucking constructive. Fucking. You ever seen the Fly with Jeff Goldblum? It's like that shit, but quicker. Dude on the phone would be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Do me a favor. Could you stand close to a window, please? <laughs> a fucking red dot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all of my dissertation, I guess. Um, you know, ghosts are real. But black ghosts still have a shift to work. <laughs> help is a setup. Recycling is a setup. It is, man. Well, not really recycling, but like conservation. (laughs) I don't trust conservation, man. Shit is a setup. He's at the store. The dude gonna tell me I don't need a bag. It's Best Buy, you know. Sir, you just purchased an iPhone case. I assume you're just going to open that here. No, I would like the bag. That is part of the transaction. (laughs) Sir, you don't need a bag. That's not for you to decide. (laughs) And he starts giving me the Easter speech about carbon footprint and trash and floating in the Pacific. Which is fine. I'm not against conservation. He just didn't understand my situation. I'm a black man in America. I gotta leave the store with a bag, man. (laughs) I don't get the joy of just walking out with shit in my hand. I'm playing with my life. Not only do I need the bag, I need that receipt. And I need you to staple the receipt to the outside of the bag. I had to, like, the Lion King, I had to Hakuna Matata, an iPhone case. Out of Best Buy. That's it, man. Thank you, guys. Up next, it's the interview of the century. It's true. If Everyone's I'm being talking honest. about it. It's we're talking to Dan Fagan, Pulitzer Prize winner. Yep, and he wrote the biggest book in America. <laughs> it was so long. We both read it. Oh, we definitely did, and mm-hmm. it's good is the thing don't yeah. don't hear us say oh it's so long and think well long equals bad don't you do are it. dead wrong You're it's good freaking wrong it's very good um dan fagan with something to know uh, when you're listening to this 
we had the thought that his um, interview, because of the content, might not appeal to millennials. So we decided to, when we felt it was the right time, throw up some crazy gifs. Y'all know GIFs? Are you guys aware of them? Do you pronounce it GIFs because you got kicked in the head by a horse when you were yeah, a kid? Yeah, what the heck is wrong with you? Anyway. So if you hear sudden bursts of laughter, that's that's what that is. Also, we should say that <laughs> Dan lost his Pulitzer at one point. Yes. And there is a picture we show of him... <laughs> Of the, the, of the lost, lost and found, and ticket. found <laughs> ticket of his Pulitzer. He lost it, I think, at the... He just forgot it. Yeah. He went to the event to get his Pulitzer and, and then he forgot left it. without it. Hey, listen, we've all made the same mistake when we've won Pulitzers. We promise. the tough question um great so this is his book this is the book it's real uh we both tried to read all of it <laughs> it is long it's and very sad. long yeah <laughs> um but we did a lot of research and you made us feel like we were back in college so thank you for making us feel young <laughs> most most people just buy the spark notes so. <laughs> Uh, well, I bought your book new so that you would get royalties. So tell people you got paid a little something awesome. for doing this show. <laughs> yeah, uh, how, how... Nothing at all. <laughs> um, how much of this book would I have to read to get an A in your class? You just have to buy it. That's the great thing. Oh! <laughs> well, I passed in flying colors. 4.0. <laughs> Um, this book is very scientific and very good. All 200 pages that I've gotten through so far. Um, and all of you should read it or you are dum-dums. Um, do you want to describe the book or do you want us to <laughs> keep doing this? I'm a little afraid to have you do it. Honestly, yeah. good choice. But I'd like to hear what you think. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I genuinely am enjoying it. It's dark and there's it's sad yeah but i think it's so excessively written it's so well written i feel it's excessive (laughs) no thanks for doing our show you're a bit excessible (laughs) oh i not not excessive (laughs) accessible yeah oh boy (laughs) um yeah i I think it's just it starts off with like a really uh an anecdote that's about michael um, and you know him. <laughs> uh, everybody's read it, right? Oh, the book is called Tom's Rip. Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe you should just explain your book. <laughs> it's about a town in New Jersey uh, that... Uh, anybody New Jersey in the house? Any New Jersey in the house? Nice. All right. uh, <laughs> and uh, it's like a, a, a social and political and environmental history of this town which uh, turns out to be kind of a sad a place where a lot of sad things happened. Uh, a lot of people uh, got sick, and there was a mystery about why they were getting sick, and it, it turned out that we pretty much have a good idea of why they got sick, and it shouldn't have happened. So that's what the book's about. Yeah. 
No spoilers here. <laughs> um, the New York Times states that Tom's River is, quote, laid out with the care and precision that characterizes both good science and great journalism in a territory where both are often reduced to their worst, end quote. In other words, b-b-b-boring. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, um, we're do, I, going... do I have to keep doing this? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're, we're going to help you out a little bit and um, make it more appealing to the Internet's best audience, oh, good, good. men 18 through 45. Good, good. Um, <laughs> so throughout this interview, we're just going to throw up random gifts. Great. So, men, how do you feel? <laughs> Tell us. Um, okay, the uh, official title is Tom's River, colon, A Story of Science and Salvation. Right. Um, science being fact-based, uh, salvation being, like, human and sort of from the gut. Uh, exactly. Can you tell us about that? What, how do you think your book reconciles both those ideas? Oh, is that a serious Good question, question Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, in journalism, we, we try to tell stories about people because, well, that's the only way to get people to read these serious things that we write. Uh, so this book is about people uh, that did very brave things, that spoke up and eventually uh, made their community a much cleaner place. But it was hard for them, and, and they were under a lot of pressure, and for a while they were really unpopular in their own town. Mm -hmm. so, so there's that. And it's also a story about science, and everyone loves science, right? <laughs> science. <laughs> and the thing about science is that mo most people seriously really don't like science because they think, it's, they think it's just learning a bunch of facts and then regurgitating those facts on a test. But that's not what science is at all. Science is about solving mysteries. Just like CSI. This is this. Think of this book as CSI Tom's River. Big rating. <laughs> uh, so that's what happened in this town. Is some really smart scientists came in and they figured out what the hell was going on, and uh, they did it in a really cool, interesting way. Yeah. Um, great answer. We're gonna change gifts. <laughs> great. <laughs> I, I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Rachel Carson uh, wrote Silent Spring, uh, exposing the effects of uh, pesticides, uh, which I think she called biocides. Um, I, did, I didn't remember that, but yeah. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and it arguably started, you know, the environmental movement. Do you think it's uh, fair to compare Tom's River to Silent Spring? Oh yeah, I, th I think my book is way better. Than <laughs> uh, good. No, <laughs> no, it is not fair. Uh, it, uh, Rachel Carson's book is amazing. She's amazing. And that was a really, she wrote that book at a time when it took a lot of bravery to do it. I've actually been to her house. Everyone should visit it in, uh, in Maryland. We kind of broke into the house. But, but then later I said. Wait, uh, tell us the story. <laughs> we, I was with a scientist and we decided, let's go see Rachel Carson's house. And it turned out that no one was there at first. And so we is this being recorded, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so no one was there, and then the person showed up, and they said, well, who are you? And, and then I 
I dropped the P-bomb. That's, that's what I call it when I re reference the Pulitzer when I'm in, the, in, in trouble. <laughs> so I dropped the P-bomb, and she was like, come on in. <laughs> can, can I hear how you introduce yourself when you drop the P-bomb? I won a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> no, I, I try to be much more casual than that, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's a true story. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike most of this book. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, how long did it's it take all true. you? <laughs> how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, I wrote this book in about three months. Right. Right. Uh, my wife is back there. Uh, Allison. <laughs> She's a, a hot shit uh, journalist. Allison, I would say it took about three months. What do you think? <laughs> it took about seven years. Honestly. Oh, yes. yeah. wow. Eliza, how long did it take you to write your bit tonight? Five minutes. <laughs> mm, seems like we chose the right career. <laughs> um, the year that you won, 2014 Pulitzer right. for this, uh, the other finalists were called The Blood Telegram, colon, Nixon, Kissinger, and The Forgotten Genocide and The Insurgents, colon, David Petraeus, and the plot to change the American way of war. Yeah. Uh, how did you beat war with a story about a town in New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I do know that, that there were a bunch of awards that year, and, and all the other people who were up for these awards had gone to Afghanistan or, or to Iraq or, or the we're in the Balkans or, you know, doing really scary things. And me, I just went to New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out, you, you know, you have to go across the George Washington Bridge. So that, that is a bit of a trick sometimes. <laughs> Governor Christie. But, but uh, <laughs> uh... oh it's getting political. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But, but there, there are, is amazing reporting... Uh, in that category uh, all the time. Uh, I know, because I, I judged it one year, too. And reporters do really brave things. I, my stuff was not that brave. Uh, but I don't know. Somehow I won. Oh, it's <laughs> a very, like, human story combined with good reporting. Thank you. We uh, pulled that from the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's right. Uh, yeah. I'm going to change the gifts. <laughs> all right, great. Um... So there, there, there is so much content that everyone is bombarded with every day. Um, how sure. do you how do you get something essential like, like that? Yeah, like how we're trying to show right now. <laughs> um, how do you get something essential uh, like science, environmental reporting in people's faces and young people's faces? How is that? Old people cannot help us. No. Yeah. I don't know, what, but people are shelling out $75,000 to, to learn. And the truth is, I have no freaking idea. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, dance students, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> no, there are, there are lots of ways that we do it. And, and one of the ways is to, uh, to tell stories, lots of interesting stories involving people, mm -hmm. interesting people doing interesting things in interesting places. Another thing we do is to try to make sure that we relate it to people's lives in a really tangible way. And, a, and another thing we do is just 
you know, try to work in sex and drugs and rock and roll <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> any, any way that we can in every possible context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's always good strategy. Well, how many of your articles have been written in GIFs? <laughs> uh, it's it's a gap for me that I haven't done that. Right, you might want to consider that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you mentioned uh, judging the Pulitzers a year after I you did. won. How can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, the boxes just start keep coming to your house. It, it's like it's like with Seinfeld when Newman talks about the mail. It's like the mail, it keeps coming. And, and <laughs> that's that's a that's a eighties reference for you. Do you guys know Seinfeld? Have you guys heard of Seinfeld? <laughs> Familiar with Seinfeld? Uh, and they they send you a lot of books. You may have heard that anyone can enter the Pulitzer Prize. Yes. <laughs> have you guys heard that? <laughs> it turns out that anyone can enter the Pulitzer Prize, and they do. And, and so I, <laughs> I judged uh, the category that I had won the previous year, which it turns out they do sometimes because they know they want to take advantage of you for, for feeling so grateful for winning. They know that they can sort of stick you with the odious job of, yeah. of judging the following year. Yeah. And so you get a lot of books, and a lot of the books are really great. Uh, you know, you also get some really, uh, there were like two or three Star Trek books that we eliminated pretty early. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, bio biographies of, of organs of the body and stuff that we're just not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm the pancreas or something. Uh, oh, like written as if it were... <laughs> no, that would have been, been more creative. Yeah, I was no. going to say. <laughs> no. Uh, so, you know, you get... You, in, in this category, you, you wound up... You get about almost 500 books. And, and there are three of us, and allegedly the three of us are supposed to read all 500 books. The secret is that we don't really read 500 <laughs> books. Uh, that was our secret tonight, too. <laughs> right. So uh, we divide them up, and we read a, a while, you know, and then if we think that the book is really good, then all three of us will read the whole book. And, and we wound up doing that with mm, 50 or 60 books. And then from that, we pick three finalists, which we then recommend to the Pulitzer Board, and then the Pulitzer Board decides who wins. Did you guys listen? Because you have to vote at the end of this. Yeah, it's a it's a really important Active job. Listening. <laughs> um, do you know where your Pulitzer Prize is right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you always yeah. known where it is? <laughs> yeah, that's a trick question. Uh, they've done their research. Uh, yeah, something embarrassing happened with that. Do you want to talk about? <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> not really. Uh, yeah, so when, when the <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I'm I'm an idiot. <laughs> so when you go you you go to this very lovely lunch you go to this very lovely lunch uh, in uh, at, in uh, the low library. And it's sort of the high temple of journalism. It's sort of, you know, it's the big moment in, in journalism every year. And, and the amazing people are there. But, I, you know, I was excited, but I was also really worried because my father was there. And he's, 
from Oklahoma, and he gets excited very easily. And for a while, he was talking to, to uh, uh, Arthur Sulzberger Jr. and telling him that I should really be running the New York Times. <laughs> so scary things were happening, and so I was worried. I was worried. I was really worried. And I wasn't fully paying attention to all of my belongings. And, and then they rush you out to take a picture. And I really wanted to, you know, get next to Donna Tart, you know, because she's kind of cool. So, you know, I was angling for a good spot. And I left my Pulitzer by my chair. Uh, and then I ran off to another, it was another awards ceremony later that brag. same day. <laughs> I was a, a little humble brag there. I'm not going to say who won. <laughs> uh, so I left it. And then later that night, or I got home, I'm like, oh, shit, I, I don't have my Pulitzer. And so... So I wrote the world's most embarrassing email to the, to the head of the, of the Pulitzer Award, and I said, I really, believe it or not, I'm thrilled to have won this award. <laughs> but I have to tell you something, and that is that I left my Pulitzer. And, uh, and he responded very graciously and told me that it had been found. And then a few days later, it showed up in this lost and found baggie. <laughs> From the Columbia Janitorial Department <laughs> said, lost item Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> so it's now, it's now in an in a undisclosed location in, on, on my property. <laughs> That's all right. I'm always losing priceless American treasures, too. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thanks. I feel a lot better. <laughs> um. <laughs> In, in your afterward, uh, you talk about how people can make different conclusions from the same facts, and you, you use this quote from Swiss philosopher, I don't know how to pronounce it, Alain de Botton? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I probably found that in Wikipedia or something. <laughs> uh, so the quote is, the difference between hope and despair is a different way of telling stories from the same facts. Right. And I thought that was so interesting, and I feel like it's really relevant to today, um, how do you feel like we navigate facts then when there's, you know, different interpretations of Yeah, them? that's a pretty good question. I mean, we uh, imagine if we had a presidential c candidate, for example, who just uh -huh. decided that facts didn't matter. What would we do? Can you, that would never ac actually happen <laughs> in real life. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a real problem. And, and the, the serious mission of journalism is to sort of keep facts relevant in our lives and it's it's not easy to do it's not easy to do so we do our best yeah well thank you so much yeah Thanks. dan dan Fagan, everybody um this book is called tom's river and you're working yeah give it up it's Really, it's genuinely so good. Yeah, and I'm really going to finish it, and I'm going to tweet to you when I finish it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and you're you're working on a new a piece on butterflies. I am. I am. <laughs> I love. Turns out I love butterflies. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I am. I'm, I'm writing a book about um, monarch butterflies and and the f the future of life on Earth. Cool. So check that <laughs> out. Light stuff. Yeah. Dan Bacon, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
Guys, not to be outdone, Dan Fagan, pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. But, but do you know who we have next? Tell them, Caroline. Just like the most popular guy of the freaking minute. Yeah. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> you know. Oh, boy. Wow, we cannot believe Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, came to do this show. Um, but that's just the power of... Me and Eliza's freaking star power. Wow. If you cannot tell, we are just magnetic. And I think everyone can, everyone senses that. Yeah. The C in my name stands for confident. Yeah. The the E stands for electric in my name. All right. Lin-Manuel, take us away. Freestyle. I know everybody's so excited because Dan Fagan was here and he won a Pusser Prize. But fuck Dan Fagan. Because I won an Emmy, a Grammy, a Pusser Prize, a Tony Award, and an MTV VMA. I'm just like my city. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not gonna miss my shot. I said, I'm not gonna miss my shot. Oh my God, this is... Oh my God, I'm so... I've never... This is the... best. Oh my... Oh my, this is the best, oh, this is the, oh my, oh my god, I'm gonna, oh, this is, it's so, it's so steamy, oh, this is, oh my god, oh, oh please begin the interview. All right, uh, uh, easy question, why did you write Hamilton? That's a good question. I was in the New York airport. And I wrote a Hamilton by accident. My plane was delayed. And I walked by a bookstore. And I saw the biggest book you've ever seen. And I'm the hardest worker you've ever met. So I said, I'm going to buy the book. I buy the book. And it's about Thomas. It's uh, it's about Andrew. It's about Alexander Hamilton. And I read this book. And I think to myself, this is the man. It's... Just like my city is young, scrappy, and hungry, and he's not gonna miss his shot. And it, and it's like hip hop, because this man is a rebel. He steals cannons from the Britain. He's George Washington's right hand man. He's a, de- he's a degenerate. He's an orphan who doesn't have his parents. And it's like, man, this is a beautiful person. And. This is a person who represents where I'm from is the Heights. <laughs> the Heights. I wrote my first play about the Heights. Brooklyn, Tupac got killed on this day. 20 years, baby. And so I think to myself, I'm going to write the most beautiful musical that everybody's anybody ever seen. And I wrote it and I wrote it and I wrote it. And it turned into the best musical ever. And I won a Pulitzer Prize. Next question. Sure. Uh, um, how were you able to find good in Alexander Hamilton? 
There's a lot of good in rebels, you know. He's the ten dollar founding father, you know, and he fought for stuff. And you know, I found a lot of good in a lot of people. Just for example, I was in a strip club the other day, and I had this conversation with the stripper. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. I says to her, "My name is Lynn Manuel Miranda." I said, and I said, "Please no." You are no less of a person than your Wall Street clients with their loads of cash just because they dance in the strip club exposing their ass. Twerking does not mean that they don't deserve a genuine hug or that they should be treated poorly by these scoundrels and scrubs. Please know just because you aren't treated fairly by these belligerents and scrubs, the only thing that you deserve is love, is love, is love, is love. And then I sucked her tits. <laughs> Next question. Um, you've been asked to make a lot of appearances at cool events and on shows and all kinds of stuff. Uh, what has been your favorite? I got to throw out the first pitch for the Yankees game in the Bronx. And I took 45 minutes to throw it out because I was singing a lot. And every, the crowd liked it. But I have to say... Um, my favorite appearance has been uh, when Oprah decided to bring her show back just for one night so that she can interview me. Whoa, did you get to shake her hand? No, I sucked her tits. It was, everybody went nuts in the crowd. They said, more juice, more juice, more milk, more, and I'm just like my city, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not gonna miss my shot. Why does he write like he's running out of time, like he's running out of time? I had a wife, he, he had a wife like Elizabeth Shiler and he, and, I, and he cheated on her and I said, this is very common. Every man will end up cheating on his wife if he has power. So I thought it was good to let the world know that it's okay if you get cheated on. And if you're sad about it, then you're just not smart. <laughs> Next question. How do you get your hair to stay like that? I use a bunch of mousse from the movie Hairspray. And they keep it in place, and then I say, and I run for three miles, and if it's out of place, I make them do it triple time so that if I, run, if I go swimming, it's still the same. Next question. Uh, we've heard you rap a bit. Uh, we hear you're pretty good at freestyling. Can you spit some bars for us? Oh, my God. Can I have a suggestion of anything at all? Dogs. Dogs go far, but they don't hop like frogs. They don't do under the what? You know what? This is so weird. <laughs> Next question. Um, uh, tell us about your upbringing and childhood. My upbringing and childhood. Oh my God! Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to slam dunk like Michael Jordan. But I guess I have to settle for rapping in cars with James Corden, and that's very cool. But I grew up in the Heights. <laughs> I grew up in the high. Get out of here. I'm just messing around. That was so rude. That was so rude of me. That was so rude, please. I'll sit here for 40 minutes till the whole crowd walks out. Do it for us. Do it for us. Oh, bye, bye, bye. Boo, everybody. Boo. It's okay, no big deal. <laughs> ah, 
ah, fuck, I just got two metal plates in my fingers because I was fingering my dog. Not because I wanted to, but because it choked on a tampon and I had to pull it out. That's what they do in Bushwick. Everybody leaves their tampons on the, in the cement. Um, what was that next question? Um, are you working on anything new? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm working on a new play, and, I'm, and it's, um, it's about former President John F. Kennedy, and it's called JFK, and it uh, has to do with his assassination. It's played by an all-Asian cast, and it's going to just be people, it's going to be fireworks at intermission, and we're going to be serving Stella and Blue Moon. Um, next question. What what's uh, what's the best uh, dinner you ever had with somebody? Oh my God, the best dinner! I think the best dinner I ever had with somebody was with um, Anne Frank, and <laughs> it was it was uh, before she passed away, and she got to tell me everything that was in her diary, and so I knew what was going to be in the book, and so. I read the book, and I was like, oh, I already knew this. And all my friends at, um, at, at Cotillion, at my, my little, my cousin Cotillion, she was like, oh, my God, this book is so good. She was almost our age. And I said, I already read the book. And so I went to sleep, and, and I woke up, and I felt like a new man. And everybody gave me high fives when I woke up because I read the book. And then my mom came over, and she kissed me, and I said... One day I'm going to write the play called Hamilton. So I wrote the thing, and I wrote it when I was sleeping most of it. Yeah. I was sleeping the whole time, actually. Actually, I slept, I slept the whole time when I read it. Yes. Why do I write like I'm running out of time? Like I'm... Next question. Uh, is, there, is there anything else you stand for or want to leave us with? Yes, I think that the environment is really messed up and that Antarctica is melting and that we should bring, uh, like my friend earlier from said, Mr. Freeze back from Batman and Robin to frost the glaciers. Um, I think that having um, seatbelts is very important in all cars. I know that a lot of cars are getting rid of them. And I think that it's a good idea to bring them back. And if we're going to make people have seatbelts in the cars, then I think let's not have a double standard. Let's make sure the car has a seatbelt. So let's, let's put a seatbelt on the car that's into the road. Let's put a seatbelt on the car. Um, what do I write? Any other questions, please? I have a big... Can I, can I be honest with you guys? Sure, yeah. I have a big confession to make. Oh, my God, I feel so bad. I feel so bad that I feel so bad that nobody knows this about me. I'm also iced tea, <laughs> aka Finn Tatulu from NYPD Special Victims Unit Law and Order. <laughs> Normally, I'm out chasing kitty diddlers and hump hustlers. But tonight I'm talking about my Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> any, any other questions, please? Oh, uh, what's your favorite season? Uh, probably season three of Veep. <laughs> Next question, please. Um, how's your new baby? My new baby is good. It fits right on top of Coco's big breasts. <laughs> Next question, please. Keep them rapid fire. Are, uh, what grades did you get in school? A's and Z's. Next question. How tall are you? S seven, eight. <laughs> On stage, of course. 
But when you're a Broadway performer, you never leave stage. You do it on stage. You do it to play. Next question. What's the worst medical ailment you've ever had? Oh, my God. I got my tongue cut off because I was in uh, the movie The People Under the Stairs, and they made me play Twitch. And then, Has anybody seen The People Under the Stairs? Raise your hands. Okay, next question. Um, uh, where do you buy your shirts? Oh, my God. Duh, Under Armour. Next question. Who, who broke your heart? Elizabeth Shiler, when I cheated on her. I think that um, what she did was really fucked up by leaving me. Or actually, she stayed with me, but she helped raise my child, and he got shot in the head, but she should have been there. And I know that you're thinking, oh, is this guy Andrew... Alexander Hamilton, or is he, is he uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, or is he Ice-T? Well, the question, the real answer is, when uh, you are a great performer, you are everybody that you, pers- that you act to be. <laughs> this show is so easy. What's the next question? Um, one more question. If you could have a meal with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Probably Latoya Jackson. Um, I think it was weird to grow up in a goofy family and to see her become successful. I would like to know how she did that. And I would like to suck on her beautiful face. I have to go. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you so here. much. Lin Manuel Miranda. The actual Lin Manuel Miranda. And Ice T. Oh, and baby maybe dog. even Alexander Hamilton, it was not clear. <laughs> Well, that's the show. You saw everybody. Yeah, you saw Catherine Cohen. You saw um, Eliza. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you saw Caroline, Connor O'Malley, Roy Wood Jr., Carmen Christopher. And Dan Fagan. Dan Fagan. Wow, big ups. Um, There's only one thing left to do, and that is decide who's getting nominated for a Pulitzer tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Go ahead and explain the process. Okay, so this is how it's going to work. You saw all those performances. Um, their names one more time. Catherine, Connor, Carmen, Roy, Eliza, Caroline. Dan already has one, so let's not get one. You're out. One. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we're going to do is have you guys shout out who you think deserves a Pulitzer, and the first name we hear is who we're going to pick. Ready? <laughs> one, two, three. Catherine. I heard Catherine. I heard Catherine. Catherine! Catherine Cohen, Pulitzer Prize entrant. Congratulations! Good job, Catherine. Good job, you Catherine. You earned it. You are now a Pulitzer Prize entrant. Wow. I, you better put it in your Twitter bio, I swear to God. You put it in there and you put it on your resume under special skills. Uh-huh. Anyway, thanks everyone who did this show. Yes, thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Connor. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Carmen. And extra big thank you to Man of the Hour, Boy of the Year, Dan Fagan. Dan Fagan, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to see what all the fuss is about, go to a bookstore and buy Tom's River and read it all. And read it all. And then follow him did. on... T- we did, and it was hard. <laughs> and we did it in a week. Oh, where's our prize? <laughs> but after you read it, follow him on Twitter, at Dan Fagan. Let him know that you are scared because there is no other outcome after reading that book. Yeah, it's true. Um, if you guys want to come to a live show that we do for Pulitzer Surprises, um, you can follow us on Twitter to find out when that'll be. Um, or 
you can go, go to unionhallny.com mm-hmm. and check out the calendar. They have lots of good shows, but guys, not one nearly as good as ours. <laughs> but also, please just follow us on Twitter. We need this. And if you have a Pulitzer Prize, be a friend. We're always looking for people to interview <laughs> and we're so good at it. We are the queens of it. Um, so thank you so much. See you guys later. Bye. This podcast was recorded live at Union Hall by Gary O'Keefe for Good Orbit. Houston, 20 seconds to LOS Tedris. Content, nice to be in orbit.